Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Hey, we're back. It's a podcast called MASH Matters. And on MASH Matters, we discuss the greatest television series of all time, which happens to be MASH. And Jeff Maxwell, that's a good thing since MASH is in the title, MASH Matters. It's a really good thing. Otherwise, what would we be talking about? Right. It would be weird if we were to call the show MASH Matters and then get on here and talk about the Jeffersons. (laughs) Right. Not a bad show. No, I like the Jeffersons. Don't yeah, get me, me wrong. Too. I of yeah. the Norman Lear shows, it's it's one of my favorites, but yeah. the Jeffersons matter just doesn't have the same ring to it. And I couldn't do this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you would have to sing the Jeffersons theme song. And yeah. uh, I would love to hear your rendition of that. I'll get right back to you on that. Just <laughs> You can work it into your Jolson medley. Yeah. Is that the moving on up one? Yeah, that's moving yeah. on up. Moving yeah. on up. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's there you as go. much as I know. <laughs> well, after all, I didn't work on that one, so I don't that's know. True. That's true. That's true. You didn't. Yeah. So, yeah, we're back. Episode 85. Here we are. We're going to uh, dive into some more listener questions. And as always, you can reach out to us at mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. We're also going to have a few voicemails to play. And if you would like to call and leave a voicemail, you can do that under three minutes in length at 513-436-4077. So let's say we just dive right in here, Jeff. You want to read the first one? I'll read the first one. And this is from Alexander. I just listened to your latest episode and one of your viewers... Okay, viewers, viewers. Hey, we have viewers now, too. <laughs> well, you know, we do one YouTube episode, and now suddenly we have viewers. We have viewers. Yeah. Viewers, we have viewers. We have one or two, three viewers. Okay, <laughs> I'll start that over, Alexander, because we pretty much trashed the opening of your question. <laughs> okay. So Alexander says, very sincerely, I just listened to your latest episode, and one of your viewers had a very thoughtful voicemail on why Hawkeye never put effort into improving Frank and help him. This actually hit home with me as I am stuck in a similar dynamic from time to time. Two things that are in play in the Hawkeye-Frank setting. One, Frank is superior by rank. Hawkeye is a rebel against the system. Working with improving Frank would mean Hawkeye would have empathy to whatever powers above him that made the bad choices that gave Frank his rank and felt that Frank was befitting of his rank. Hmm. Okay. Number two, many of the people Hawkeye helped along his uh, way over the years were people he met temporarily. Uh, He could choose to help them or not. Frank was a permanent fixture that he would be stuck with no matter what he did. It's harder to put your heart into it if you're going to go against the grit 24-7. It's much easier when you can pick and choose the time and place. Just my two cents or points, as it were. Keep up the good work. Well, Alexander, thank you very much. Interesting concepts about that. Now, uh, one thing he said, Alexander, let me see, I'm stuck. Uh, this actually hit home with me as I am stuck in a similar dynamic from time to time. Now, does that mean you're on the Hawkeye side or the Frank side? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Come on, Alexander. Which one are you? Which one are you? Come on. You can let us know. Yeah. 
No, some good points there. It's true. Uh, it, it is a lot different when it's somebody who's just temporarily walking through your life or if it's somebody you're stuck with and the people you're stuck with, you know, it is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. I think we found in the last couple of years that it's more challenging when the people close to you have different viewpoints than <laughs> you. It, it, it becomes a little more difficult to become empathetic with the people who you're stuck with. Yeah, like your wife or your husband or your parents, maybe. Uh, yes, absolutely. Not, not my wife. Not my wife, not no, your no, wife. No, but, not, uh, no, you know, no, other... not ours. No, I didn't say that. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no they were... Absolutely not. No, no. Yeah, so um, but uh, no, those are actually very good points. So yeah, I thank you, Alexander. We, we appreciate that. Thank you. So moving on here, this is a message from Paul F. Verhoeven. Paul says, I'm here in Australia. I'm an author and writer for ABC Junkie Kotaku. Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. And a few other outlets. Devoted listener and epic, epic fan of MASH. I was hoping you could help me out. Okay, we will. Yes, we'll come to Australia and star in one of your productions. Don't don't even <laughs> think about it. Don't even question it. Just send the first class tickets. I mean, do you, is it all right with you, Ryan, if we- Well, it's fine with me. I don't think that's his question. I don't think he was offering anything. I'm sorry. But maybe we can work something out with Paul. All right. Paul goes on to say, I'm sure you can relate, but it's important to me to figure out whether the gang of the 4077 stayed in touch after the show. A recent watch through of the whole series had me convinced that they'd stay close as close could be until a post-breakdown Hawkeye insisted to BJ they'd never see each other again. Now I read this as almost a meta-refusal on the character's part to want the show itself to end, but also I took Hawkeye's admission that they might on the helipad very seriously. I've trawled interviews and books for any hint as to whether the cast or crew know what the character's ultimate fates, however vague or theoretical, would be. I heard that Aftermash had plans to have Alda and company appear in future seasons before it was canceled. So how about it? Can we form a brain trust and figure out, even with whispers woven from the strangest sources, whether, say, BJ and Hawk stayed close, whether Margaret and Hawkeye ended up together, or hell, what Radar's career as a cop would have ended up looking like down the road? Thanks in advance. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, Greetings to you in Australia. Uh, you know, there's not really anything out there that that talks about the characters once they got back home and whether they did stay in touch, whether they remained close. Now, you could look at this two different ways. You can say that what these characters went through was very intense and they went through it together. So they have a bond that is unbreakable. And yes, you do remain close. You do talk to each other. But then on the other side of that, you never heard from Trapper. Again, after he left the show, Frank didn't get back in touch with Margaret, as far as we know, or or any of the gang. There was one episode where Radar did write a letter to Colonel Potter, but beyond that, you never heard from Radar again. And so did that translate to once the uh, conflict was over and they went back to the States? Did they stay in touch? I don't know. You would want to think that they did. You would want to think that BJ and Hawk met up somewhere. You would want to hope that Radar's family did go out to Boston like they said they were going to and stay with the Winchesters, which would have been a series in itself, if you ask me. But uh, I don't know. I really don't know. That's a great question. Jeff, do you have any uh, thoughts or opinions on this as to whether or not the characters from the 4077th would have stayed in touch after the war? Is there any money in it for me if, if I do? No. No, okay. Uh, I'll do it for free. So (laughs) here's what I think. The thing that brought them together was not necessarily what they both wanted to do, but was what they both didn't want to do. 
And so they were stuck. So these two very different heads, very different human beings with very different um, perspectives and thoughts and outlooks were shoved together. And that's what created that common bond between them. But I think once that's taken away, I, my guess is that, you know, once uh, maybe they talked a couple of times and then they would say, hey, let's get together. And maybe they they had dinner once. But after that, I think these two people would go their separate ways because I don't think they were necessarily uh, would necessarily hang out without the pressure of what they were under. Uh, this is my take uh, on those two guys. It's hard to to think of it in terms of the war in the 1950s, the Korean War. Today, it's very easy to stay in touch with people. It's very easy because you can you can text them. You've got Facebook. You've got social medias. You can email. It's very easy. Back then, it wasn't easy to stay in touch. You would write letters. Mm-hmm. A long-distance phone call from Maine to San Francisco would have cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it wasn't as easy for people who lived on different sides of the country or different parts of the world to be able to communicate like it is now. Uh, so true. Yeah, well said. And, and uh, you know, and the idea of Margaret and Hawkeye getting, you know, ending up together, no, I can't see that happening at all. Mm-hmm. It's just like I was saying that BJ and Hawkeye were two different people. Certainly they were two different people as well. And I don't think she would have been attracted to trying to maintain a relationship with that kind of personality. Mm -hmm. Maybe one, you know, hi, how you doing? Good to hear from you. Hey, I got to run. That would probably be about it. So, you know, and Radar, I don't know. Radar is kind of a wild card for me because he would seem to be maybe a little bit more vulnerable to having certain feelings about those people. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I quite frankly don't see any of them maintaining a real close relationship. Um, I'm sorry. I could see Radar and Colonel Potter staying in touch. Mm-hmm. Otumwa and Hannibal are not that far away. And uh, even if you uh, go beyond MASH and you look at uh, episodes of Aftermatch, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, Radar showed up in an episode of Aftermatch. So, you know, it, it's feasible that uh, somebody like a Radar did stay in touch with certain characters. But I don't see Charles, obviously, is not going to stay in touch. Frank didn't stay in touch. Klinger, again, after MASH, if you, if you consider that, Klinger and Potter and, and Mulcahy did all still work together. But the other characters, I don't know. And then you beyond that, you have characters like Igor and characters like Kelly and, and Rizzo. And it, did, did they stay in touch? And Sydney, you know, did any of the, the camp stay in touch with Sydney Friedman? That's a great question, uh, Paul. But uh, to be honest, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on this or opinions on this. We'd love to hear from you. And it will be uh, mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it's all imaginary. This is like basically what we're doing here is just saying, hey, if you want to write your uh, fan fiction for MASH, MASH, go ahead, do it. What happened after the war, uh, feel free. And there won't be a dime in it for you. No. So forget that. Not a bit. Well, that's interesting. So David says, hey, do you guys know where I can get a copy of After MASH? I know it was supposed to have been put out on DVD, and I know there's two seasons. I just want to know if you guys know where I can get a copy of it. Well, I did a tiny bit of research and I'm totally confused. I don't know where the heck it is. My, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, there's different opinions, different things. So, well, you can see it here, you can see it there. Probably in what I found out, and Ryan, you may know something more, but I found out that it's pretty much 
on YouTube. And if you can find it on YouTube, watch it there because I don't see anywhere that's, uh, that says that there's their DVDs, uh, for the, for the show at all. Yeah. Well, if you type in Aftermash DVDs, you'll actually find a couple of places online that are trying to sell them. Oh, wow. But I don't trust those yeah, <laughs> at yeah, all yeah. because it was never released on DVD. It, as far as we know, there are no plans to release it on DVD. There are episodes of Aftermash on YouTube. Almost all of the uh, two seasons are on YouTube. But they were dubbed in from a video cassette. So the quality is not, is not good, yeah. but they're there. If you want to see them, just know that if you project them on your 4k TV, you're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> because the video and audio quality is not great, but they're there. So if you want to watch them, you can find it. But as far as DVDs, you know, Fox owned that show. And then I'm assuming that Disney now owns it. There are probably not enough people clamoring for a uh, Aftermash DVD set to uh, justify the expense. So chances are we're probably never going to see the Aftermash DVD set. That's my guess. And I was not in it. So what's the point? Right. Exactly. You know, had you been in it, this would have been a different conversation. Yes. Thank you. Jim says, hey, Ryan and Jeff, Jim from Calumet, Michigan, where I enjoy listening to the podcast, had to add my mash related story. I was born with a cleft palate, which meant many years of doctor's visits in the 70s. Until I was 16, I attended a cleft palate clinic with a series of specialty doctors. The ear, nose and throat doctor was Dr. Frank Burns. Oh, my goodness. Holy moly. Well, Jim. I hope it wasn't the Frank Burns. <laughs> oh, yeah, makes me a little nervous. <laughs> this brought up a memory of mine. Several years ago, my family uh, went to Louisville, Kentucky, for uh, a getaway, and while we were driving around, we saw a sign for an ophthalmologist named Frank Burns. <laughs> So, Jim, your Frank Burns isn't the only Dr. Frank Burns out there. In fact, I also found a hospitalist in Sarasota, Florida, also named Frank Burns. Mm. Including Jim's doctor, we know of at least three doctors, real doctors, who had the name Frank Burns. By the way, there's also a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives named Frank Burns. (laughs) Now, as a MASH fan... If you had to go to a specialist and you found out that the doctor's name was Frank Burns, would that make you want to go to the doctor or would the name Dr. Frank Burns turn you off? Hmm. Would you have less confidence in your doctor, even though he may have graduated first in his class, the real Dr. Burns? Mm -hmm. Would you have less confidence in him if your doctor's name was Frank Burns? My goodness, that's a good question. I don't know. I, you know, if you're really a staunch MASH fan, you probably would have trepidation. Yeah, I would think so. Probably. But there's also the novelty of it. Yeah, probably most of them would kind of move their finger down the telephone book anyway, looking (laughs) for the next one. (laughs) Hoping they can find a Benjamin Pierce. Yeah, hoping something Please, down come there. on. How about it? Is there a honeycut? Is there, come on, anything. <laughs> I'll take a potter. Is there a potter? Any day. <laughs> All right. Let's move on now to a voicemail. This one coming to us from Logan. Uh, hi, my name is Logan. I'm from Buffalo, New York. My pronouns are he, him, and that does, in fact, mean that I am trans. Um, that's the subject of my question, actually, because... MASH is such a wonderful show, and it really, like, entirely 
spreads the good word of humanity and being kind to everybody and being super inclusive. I was wondering if there were any sort of like fights for who to be inclusive to on set, if there were specific like requests or things that needed to be cut, things that just weren't, I guess, time appropriate for when the show was made. Um, I just, it was there any fighting that happened over who to be inclusive and loving to? Um, I love the, the podcast, by the way. I'm a very recent listener, and I'm having a great time with it. So I just wanted to thank you both for all that you do. Um, and thank you for just being kind people. So, yeah, that's it. Logan, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, interesting. Well, I, I hope we're kind. We're kind, aren't we? We're kind. Uh, yeah, kind of. But that was very, it's very sweet to say we are. Yeah. You know, the question about the uh, concerns uh, about uh, being kind and if there were any issues that happened. I, here's my, uh, my thought from the just being there was that everybody, all the writers, and starting with Larry Gelbart and uh, Gene Reynolds and who were the producers, and Larry Gelbart wrote everything for the most part for four years. They were very, very loving, giving, nurturing, kind, really intelligent people. And uh, they hired writers who were of that same ilk. So anytime something would come up that there would be sensitivity to anybody or anything, they were on it like crazy. So they would use probably... Frank as a conflictive voice among that kind of approach to somebody because that he was the bad guy <laughs> right, uh, right. sort of in the show. So they, that's where they would go. But for the most part, the writers would write a story about somebody and, and it would come out kind in the end because that's who they were as people. And that was their philosophy of life anyway. So yeah. uh, that's kind of generally sort of wherever I saw it. And, and just in the relationships with the people on the set, that's where we all were too. And, you know, Gene Reynolds and Larry Galbart were geniuses because they on purpose and almost accidentally formed a group of people who were like-minded and uh, had no real conflicts, you know, humanity oriented issues. Everybody, you know, we were all together for nine or 11 years uh, people would argue and disagree, but nothing came up that would be classified as a negative thought to any person or any group. I don't know whether any of that made sense, but. <laughs> no, it did. It did. And, you know, MASH was really kind of groundbreaking in being one of the few shows of the time to really uh, address some of these issues. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to consider that the Korean War, uh, when the Korean War ended to when MASH began, was only about, you know, 20 years. There were a lot of people who still had the mindset from uh, the 1950s Korean conflict in the 70s and the 80s. So to be able to address some of these things, and also you had the the episode like George, where you were showing a sympathetic gay character that was not really seen in that time. Mm -hmm. So whether it was race or addressing homophobia, which they did several times, MASH was, I think, always on the forefront of that. And all of that can be traced back to Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds mm -hmm. and the, the type yes. of people they were and being able to surround themselves with the type of people that they were as well and all having that empathetic feel. Yeah. I was kind of hoping there was going to be a story of about a fist fight or something, but you know, dadgummit, <laughs> it's just not to be. 
And uh, Ron writes, and Ron says, I just noticed something in the tag of the episode Peace on Us. Set in the morning after the big red party at the roll call, everybody's hair is back to normal. They are all feeling the effects of their party, but they took the time to rinse the color out of their hair? Really? Hmm. This is one of the few moments in MASH that kind of irks me. The episode Peace on Us, Hawkeye goes to the peace talks and actually gets thrown out of the peace talks. And earlier in, in the episode, he said, you know, everything is green here, green. I'm bored with it. I want to see some other colors. And so somehow they were able to dye their clothes and their hair red in the time that he got kicked out of the peace talks and then arrived back at the 4077th by Jeep. How on earth could that happen? Why did they have all of this red dye? <laughs> Unless they're using like mercurochrome, mm-hmm. what are they using for dye? And how could they have that much that everybody's clothes were dyed and their hair was dyed too? And then my guess is that if you have red dye in your hair, uh, you're not going to be able to wash it out very easily overnight. But as Ron points out, the next morning they're hungover and they're all back to their natural colors. That's TV for you. Now, I don't dye my hair red or any color Mm -hmm. anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember that my mother used to dye her hair red and she used henna rinse. Hmm. And it was some red, gooky-looking stuff she would put on her hair. (laughs) And then uh, she'd come out after half an hour or an hour or whatever, she'd rinse it out, and she had reddish hair. Hmm. So maybe they were all, you know, using henna rinse, and you could do it pretty quickly. You get the dye in pretty quickly. But wait a minute. Where are they going to get henna rinse in Korea during, was, during the Korean like just War? Is a surplus in the, uh, in the supply tent? Where, you know, well, maybe, you know, the, the villages. Down at the village. They all had villages <laughs> near camps. They go to the village and get stuff on the black market. Go. That's probably yeah. right. Okay. Rosie. Rosie probably hooked them up. Rosie hooked him up with henna rinse. Yeah, I like that. For a price. (laughs) Steve says, Dear Ryan and Jeff, congratulations on the amazing podcast. Well, thank you, Steve. I started listening about six weeks ago and decided to write in once I was all caught up. I've thoroughly enjoyed hearing the stories, interviews, and different perspectives of the show from you both. I wanted to second the opinion of an earlier listener in thinking that Jeff's voice does remind me of Casey Kasem's in all the best ways. Well, there you go. That's really good. And number 12. And here's your long distance dedication. (laughs) My MASH origin story may be different than most. Born in 84, I obviously missed the first run. In fact, I didn't start watching until I was 13 or 14. Back then, I spent time after school playing trivia in chat rooms on the internet. There was a whole category on MASH, which at the time I knew absolutely nothing about. However, in reading the questions, I started to learn about the show and eventually started watching. I believe Point of View was the first episode I ever watched. It took me a few episodes to figure out who Hawkeye was and who Radar was, but soon I was hooked and MASH became my life. During high school, I was tasked with completing a senior project. Think master's thesis, but on a much smaller level. Heavily involved in band at the time and still unsure whether I'd pursue music as a major in college, I went about creating an arrangement of the MASH theme song for Wind Ensemble under the tutelage of my project mentor. We settled upon a variations on a theme approach and created a mash waltz 
as well as a jazzier version of the theme. One of my proudest moments was conducting my high school band as well as community band of which I was a part while playing my arrangement. Happy to say I passed and graduated, although I didn't wind up going into music (laughs) as a major. Thanks again, Ryan and Jeff, for your hard work on giving us this podcast. Stay safe, and I'm always looking forward to the next episode. Well, thank you, Steve. Mm. I only wish that we could have gotten like a recording of yes. Nash Waltz or the uh, the jazzier yeah. version of your theme played by your high school band. So if you happen to have a copy of that and you want to send it to us, uh, we, we'd love to hear it. I love hearing stories like that, how MASH connects to people on a deep level and how they're able to use their love of the show and find creative outlets to spread their joy and their love of the show. Be careful what you watch. It may crawl into your soul. That's deep. Very deep. Thank you. Well, the best from Casey Kasem. And thanks for saying that. That's very nice of you to say. It's very nice to be compared to somebody like Casey Kasem, for gosh sakes. Yeah. He's dead, isn't he? I mean, he's in Casey isn't with us anymore. <laughs> he is. Oh, well. Yes, Never he is mind. dead. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Casey. The next email coming to us from an RXT. Uh, they did not identify their name. So I'm um, just going by their email address, which was RXT. So RXT, you know who you are. Thank you very much for writing. Anyway, it, does, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. You can call yourself anything you want. <laughs> okay. So RXT said, hi there. Thank you so much for the show, and I've been loving every minute. The question keeps popping up about how many surgeons, shifts, etc. there were in an actual MASH unit. I, I was asking myself that earlier this morning. <laughs> I just stumbled on uh, an article regarding uh, arterial transplants in Korea, which seems to answer the question. All right. Oh, these are in quotes here. Eventually, there were five MASH units in Korea, and each was to be staffed by three surgeons and three non-surgeon assistants, two anesthesiologists, one radiologist, two internists, three general duty medical officers, 12 nurses, two medical service corps officers, one warrant officer, 93 enlisted personnel, and a partridge in a pear tree. But, <laughs> no, it wasn't a partridge. They didn't put partridges. Well, that's very interesting. That's a lot of people. Hope this clarifies things, though it really doesn't answer how surgeons knew when they could drink to excess. <laughs> Please keep the episodes coming. Here's looking up your old address. Oh, I shouldn't have said that right there. But oh, anyway, oh. thanks. Uh, oh, we're done. Good night. Rex Teed. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Well, that, that's uh, I never knew that. So this is from an article called Korea, MASH, and the Accidental Pioneers of Vascular Surgery. It's written by Stephen G. Friedman, MD. I don't know if Stephen is uh, related to uh, Sidney Friedman, but we will post a link to this article in the show notes for this episode, episode 85. So just go to mashmatters.com, look for episode 85, click on the show notes, and you can read this article. It's actually a really cool article, but uh, thank you, RXT, for uh, finding that little blurb there. The, the fact that there were three surgeons, three non-surgeon assistants, 12 nurses, and 93 enlisted personnel. That's a lot of enlisted personnel. I assume a crummy cook would be in that section because I don't <laughs> see anywhere where it says three general duty medical officers, a crummy cook, 12 nurses. So I guess it would be in the part of the 93 enlisted. I don't know. So before we move on, let's uh, give a quick salute to our Patreon VIPs. These are folks who are supporting the show financially. Thank you. You make this show possible. And uh, we want to give a big salute to Private Kevin Elliott. And Private Jolie Scott. Private Roger Danis. Corporal James Coulter. Corporal Jennifer Gibbons. 
Corporal Kevin Nye. Captain Tammy Brown. Captain Johnny Molson. Captain Brian Berg. And Major Kerry Gajowski. Thank you to all of our VIPs for uh, supporting MASH Matters. You can do the same. You can go to mashmatters.com slash support, and you can sign up to be a Patreon VIP for as little as $3 a month and unlock some really cool perks. Okay, let's go to the voicemails once again. Here is Betty. Uh, hi, I'm Betty. I live on Oahu. Um, Nash is my favorite show. I'm, um, I'm watching the episodes in order. I'm on season 10, episode 16 now. Um, I absolutely love it. I got the Nash Matters cookbook for Christmas, and I read that really quick, and I love all of the stuff that, uh, Jeff, that you wrote in the back. Uh, I want to go into filmmaking, um, and it was really, really great hearing about about your life working on all the different film sets and stuff. That was really cool. Um, I graduate next week on the 25th, and I love listening to the Mesh Matters podcast. So, just wanted to say thank you for doing it because it's just it's so awesome, and I love the show so much, and I love the cast. Also, I saw a Kentucky Fried movie and. Uh, the Philorama segment was my favorite. So you were awesome in that too. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, Betty. Betty loved Kentucky Fried Movie. She's also just recently graduated. Congratulations on your graduation. Um, Betty called back. Betty called back. Yes, she called back. Wow, that sounds like a, a movie. Betty called back. All right. <laughs> Angelina Jolie and a couple of other people. Here is Betty's second voicemail. Hi, it's uh, it's Betty from Oahu again, uh, and I just have a question. So it's a question for Jeff Maxwell. Um, in Kentucky Fried Movie, as you're walking and eating popcorn, you eat a kernel that you then spit out and throw, like, kind of behind a seat. And I was wondering if that was improvised or if that was in the script or if you just really <laughs> didn't like a piece of popcorn that you ate. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my goodness Kentucky Fried Movie I haven't thought about that since maybe yesterday at 4.30 in the <laughs> afternoon <laughs> uh, Kentucky Fried Movie wow um, well Betty thank you for saying all the lovely things and thank you for listening to the show and thank you for calling in and leaving a message we really appreciate it and uh, congratulations graduating and and really I hope your filmmaking career goes well if you have any questions don't hesitate to ask uh, between uh, Jeff and Ryan, we'll figure it out to help you. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, the question about what I did, I, well, here's the deal. In the very beginning, I think you're talking about when I first entered the theater and I'm walking down the aisle, I think. I'm hoping that that's what you're referring to. Well, okay, I, I, I kind of remember this. I was walking down the aisle and I was supposedly chewing gum and I took that and stuck it behind the seat. Ah. And, and some, as actors will do, they often forget what they did. And I continued chewing after I put the gum behind the seat, <laughs> which was incorrect, actually. And I wouldn't have continued chewing unless I was chewing my cud or my tongue. And uh, that wouldn't <laughs> be the point. Um, so if that's what you're talking about, uh, yeah, I was supposed to. And I think I actually did have gum and I think I actually stuck it on the seat when I walked in and then I forgot that I put it on the seat and 
kept chewing. It's still there, by the way. <laughs> it's still there. That theater is still there. That theater was in South Pasadena, California on Fair Oaks. And it took us about 12 or 13 hours to shoot that segment. And it was a long, very, very long day. And it was a lot of fun. John Landis was a director and he was a lot of fun. We laughed a lot. But it was real serious business because we had to get the shots and all the people were wonderful and that theater was very nice. The theater is really quite beautiful inside. It's an old, old, old place and it was started to fall apart, but apparently the city has helped it or somebody's invested in it and sort of made the outside look good. I haven't been in it since we shot that, so I don't know what it looks like inside. There could be a bunch of panthers running around in there, rats, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, we had a good time and I thank you for seeing it and I thank you for uh, saying that you liked it. It was fun to do and I hope, uh, hope we made you laugh. Well, if you loved the sequel to Betty's voicemail, you're going to love the third one because she called back again. <laughs> She had more questions. <laughs> yeah. Betty, why don't you just come over? We'll talk. Okay. <laughs> Gee, the first what? three voicemails are free. We're going to start charging you for the fourth one, though, Betty, just so, just so you know. Hi, it's Betty from Oahu. One last question. So one of my all-time favorite episodes, season nine, episode 11, No Sweat. It's the it's like all in one night, and it's really, really hot, and all of them... All the characters just sort of doing different things, trying to stay awake. Um, everybody's like anxious because it's so hot. And it has one of my favorite endings, just because I love any ending where everybody is laughing. But I have a question about the scene where you turn on the fan and all the papers go flying everywhere. Was that something that you got to rehearse? Or was it just sort of one, one shot, one taking, and you tried? try to do it just because of how many papers there are. I'm just so curious about the setup. Thank you. So she's referring to the scene with you and Charles, where Charles is uh, going through all his tax documents in the mess tent, mm -hmm. and you come in, and to cool him off, you turn on the giant fan and blow all of his papers away. Was that rehearsed, or did you just do that in one take with all the papers? It was rehearsed, but it wasn't rehearsed with the blowing of the papers, so there was some rehearsal but uh, no, we just did that in one take. I mean, hmm. you know, let's let's uh, say how brilliant we were. <laughs> uh, pretty much did it one take. That was it. Blew all the papers, and then that was the end of that shot. So yeah, it was one take. Betty, huh. yeah, that's what you'll be named after you started showbiz. You'll be one take Betty, <laughs> and that's that's what you're going to strive to be. One take, Betty. All right. And here's Betty's fourth voicemail. Ah! No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. All right. Let's move on. I'm going to miss Betty. I am. <laughs> Grown very fond of her, actually. We bonded. We spent a lot of time together. Yeah. <laughs> Is this over yet? <laughs> we no. No. We're, we're oh, not done not? yet. Oh, okay. All I, right. I think listeners probably wish we were, but no, we're, we're not yeah, done they're... yet. Oh, hey. Hey, Brendan call, uh, wrote in. Brendan. My name is Brendan. Well, I said that already, Brendan. I am 20 years old from Winnipeg, Manitoba. I've been watching MASH for a while now. I discovered it the summer I was 13 while at my granny's house and absolutely loved it. I discovered something else when I was 13, but I don't we wouldn't want to talk about that. I <laughs> absolutely love that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't a granny's house though. It was some anyway. I've been I'm sorry, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have been binge listening to your podcast since episode one, and I'm really enjoying the chemistry you both have. Wow, cool. We have chemistry, right? And we're kind. Before I go, I... Well, don't go now. You just got here, Brendan. Before I go, I just want to make two remarks. I just heard the fan email talking about where MASH is referenced in other shows. Two I know in particular are in the Canadian sitcom Corner Gas. (laughs) Well, there's a title for you, TV show, Corner Gas. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Uh, Two I know in particular are in the Canadian sitcom Corner Gas in the season one episode called The Tax Man. And F is for family on Netflix. Lastly, in the episode No Sweat, Winchester, while talking to Klinger, mentions the Calgary Stampede. Not sure if this was brought up on the podcast yet, but I would love to confirm that the Calgary Stampede is a very real thing and very popular rodeo event held in Calgary, Canada. I have lots more to say. I hope to email you both again soon, but for now, goodbye, farewell, and amen. Brandon, thank you. I have a little bit to say about the Calgary Stampede myself. Do you? When my comedy team, Garrett Maxwell, uh, was uh, in full bloom years ago, uh, we were hired by a very exclusive nightclub in Calgary, Canada, during the Calgary Stampede. Hmm. We had no idea what the Calgary Stampede was when we were hired. So we just said, hey, it's a job. We get a job in a nightclub. So they flew us to uh, Canada. And we got there, and there was a lot of cowboys. <laughs> and we didn't realize, yes, it's a serious, serious rodeo. And boy, it's crowded. A lot of people show up there. And so we did our shows at this nightclub. We had a good time. Uh, however, we were fired <laughs> from a nightclub in Calgary. Uh, it wasn't because we weren't funny or anything. But there was a certain uh, resentment about Americans in that particular club. Hmm. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything or had had any experience at all about, you know, somebody not liking me because I was an American. Now, they, it wasn't that they didn't like us, but they were very wealthy oil men. And it was a very strange, uh, very cliquish private club Hmm. and at the time and i don't remember the politics at the time and certainly maybe there was a reason they didn't like us i don't know but pressure was put on the management of the club to bring back the canadian comic that they had in there before us Hmm. that was their reasoning well we want a canadian comic and not you guys from america so we were uh, asked to leave (laughs) the calgary stampede wow okay Uh, yeah I'm sure they would have you back now. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I've gotten several calls, actually. Last week, I had people calling Calgary. They want you to put on this clown makeup and run from the bull. But still, yeah, you're, you're invited. We're willing. <laughs> I'm just sitting around anyway. We, we love hearing from our uh, listeners from other countries. Like David. David says, greetings from Norway. I'm David from Oslo, Norway, born in 1984. During the last half of the 90s, a Norwegian television station had MASH on at 6 p.m. every day. I have been a fan ever since, and now I watch the show regularly. Thanks for making an awesome podcast, you ninnies. <laughs> and thanks for the jocularities. Well, thank you, David, and greetings to our friends in 
Norway. It still blows my mind. You think of MASH as an American series because it was U.S. Army, but it still blows my mind when we, whenever we hear from people, not only MASH fans, but also listeners to this podcast in places like Norway yeah. and Sweden and Great Britain and Australia and everywhere. It really is interesting to hear the, the fandom of MASH goes around the globe. And it's, you know, remember we have our Ukraine listener and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she. We have not heard from her in a while, which worries no. us. But uh, we hope, hope she hope all is well. Hope you're yeah, doing okay. Hope all is well, yeah. boy. But you're right. My gosh, it, you're hearing responses from around the world about the show and about us about the podcast yeah. is really, really amazing. <laughs> well, Ray says, "Hi guys, I wanted to take some time and thank you for one of my favorite podcasts. I grew up as many did, waiting for the next episode of Mash to air each week." I was hooked after seeing the first episode. My father was a decorated U.S. Army veteran who served in the Korean War and had been wounded in combat. Initially, my father would not watch the show. He found a humorous approach to the Korean War was insulting. In time, he saw that it was not an insult to the vets who served and suffered, but just the opposite. A tribute to just how the absurdity of war brings out the humility in those who experience those horrors. Any story he ever told was one with humanity and humor, never the horrible aspects of the war itself. Once he realized that MASH was doing the same, as well as showing just how hard it was to remain sane and humane in the midst of evil, he would watch at times. Thank you for helping me remember how MASH helped open a portal to learning what my father had experienced and how it impacted him. MASH, in its own way, helped my father put his demons to rest and attend reunions of his military unit. Lastly, the supporting cast was critical to MASH. I honestly believe the show would never have lasted without some of our favorite cast members, such as Igor. How I loved each and every one of them and looked forward to their time on camera. Jeff Maxwell, for example, had a unique delivery, voice, and facial expressions that he had as large a part of your heart as any of the main characters. Thank you for taking the time to share all you have and will with all the MASH fans worldwide. For all the reasons you've touched on and so many more, MASH will live forever. Hey, I'm off to watch my DVDs again. Nice. Ah, Thank you. Thank you, Ray. That's very, very nice, especially what you said about Jeff Maxwell. What a guy. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, unique delivery, voice, facial expressions, and a singing voice, actually, you never really got to hear. The total package. The total package. No, that's really sweet, and it's a very interesting story about your dad. I'm glad that the show was able to unlock some of that for him and allow him to let some of his demons go away, because, boy, you know, watching a show like this and, and seeing the humor and seeing what they did with the with the drama and the comedy, it touched so many hearts and it touched that truth and the reality in so many veterans that we've heard and talked with. I always hear these things and I get very choked up. So thank you for saying the nice things you said about me. And I'm very, very happy. And uh, I wish all of the MASH cast could hear what you said about your dad, because that's something that's uh, very important to all of us. So thank you. And thanks to everybody who sent in questions and voicemails for today's episode. Again, you can reach out to us, mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com, or you can also call and leave a voicemail at 513-436-4077. And uh, that does it. 
for episode 85 of MASH Matters. We got through another one, Jeff. We did. And uh, Betty, come on over for lunch tomorrow. We'll figure the rest of this out. One take Betty. One take Betty. We're not one take Jeff and Ryan this episode. We're not t- if, if you heard the unedited <laughs> no. version of this episode, you would know they're like 17 take <laughs> Jeff and Ryan today. <laughs> well, they all can't be brilliant, Ryan, for gosh sake. <laughs> you know, we, we deserve one or two that's not, you know, come on. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, here's looking up your old address. Thank you.